Amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And as Dave said, you can scan the QR code on the back side of the, uh, of the handout where it says the sermon notes. At the bottom, there's a QR code. If you scan that, it'll take you right to our text this morning within the YouVersion Bible app. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's good to see some of our folks who have been joining us online and now they've gotten vaccinated and are here especially good to see Jim and Susan Melton God bless you guys it's been a long time and I know that they've been looking forward to this moment for a long time and so it's good to see them it's good to see my brother back here Chris from Young Life Madison um, all the people that are getting baptized this morning let's just give it up for them this morning we've got four people getting baptized today following the Lord in water baptism. It's good to have the folks from Springs of Hope Church. We enjoyed our worship and prayer service with you last Friday. And so let's welcome them to all those that are visiting from Springs of Hope this morning. Yes. And I want to say hi to my mom, too, who's watching online. <laughs> hi, Mom. Well, it's Easter Sunday. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. And um, my first Easter as a pastor of Metro Believers Church to celebrate together with you. And I'm just excited this morning for what God's going to speak through his word to each of our hearts. So if you're there in your Bibles in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, we'll get to the text in just a moment. But when I was a child, Easter meant something totally different for me than it does today. Back then it meant Easter egg hunts, it meant Easter baskets, it meant Reese's peanut butter eggs, come on, you know. I, I did some research, I could not believe that those came out in the 70s. Um, it just seems like they are a new thing, but they are awesome. Easter was also a day for me to dress up go to church with my grandparents, to go over to grandma's house afterwards for ham dinner. How many people are having ham dinner after church today? Yeah. But as the years went by, I came to learn that the real meaning of Easter is not about egg hunts. It's not about Easter baskets, Reese's peanut butter eggs, or ham dinners. The real meaning of Easter is that death has been beaten, the grave has been conquered, and Jesus is alive. Amen? Easter is Resurrection Day, and it's the, it's the reason, as Matt said, that we are all assembled here together this morning. And the Gospel writer John tells the story of the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb on that first Easter morning. The most noteworthy eyewitness of them all was Mary Magdalene. And it was there at the empty tomb that she was asked by Jesus three questions. The same three questions I want to ask you this morning. Before we get to the first of the three questions, I think it's important to share with you a little bit of background in regards to Mary Magdalene. Mary, or Miriam, was a common name. It was a common Jewish name amongst the women in the first century. And there are six different women named Mary in the New Testament. And sometimes it gets confusing of who's, what Mary is being talked about in Scripture. 
However, this Mary was always referred to as Mary Magdalene because she came from the city of Magdala. It was an affluent city on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and both the Gospels of Mark and Luke state that Jesus freed Mary from seven demons. She was incredibly troubled physically and mentally, and Jesus set her free. Imagine the, the depression, the desperation, the marginalization and despair that Mary must have experienced before that powerful encounter with Jesus. The Bible states that a loyal few followed Jesus, and Mary Magdalene was one of those devoted followers. She was a leader amongst the women who followed Jesus. The Gospel of Luke mentions that she would also financially supported Jesus' ministry. And all four Gospels indicate that Mary Magdalene was present at the cross on that Friday, and she was the first to that tomb on Sunday. The person that Mary Magdalene loved most was Jesus. He was everything to her because he radically changed her life. He gave her a reason to live each day. She left everything behind to follow Jesus. Jesus defined Mary's existence and her expectations and hopes for Jesus were the same as the rest of his followers. Even though Jesus on multiple occasions predicted his death, Matthew, it states that he would suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Even though he predicted all these things and shared all these things with Mary and the rest of the disciples, they didn't believe him. They still expected him to rule and reign as a political king who would overthrow the oppressive Roman government and reclaim Israel's throne. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with the crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Those shouts turned to cries of crucify him, crucify him. Just five days later on Friday morning, as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and was sentenced to be crucified. Jesus, just as he foretold, was then beaten, he was mocked, he was stripped naked, and a crown of thorns was placed upon his head by the Roman soldiers. He was asked by these same Roman soldiers to carry his own cross up to Golgotha, the place of the skull on Calvary's hill. Jesus hung on that cross. As the soldiers drove stake night like nails through Jesus' wrist and ankles, he hung there for six hours. And it was the ninth hour, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, when he took his final breath. His dead body was then taken from the cross. It was wrapped in linen along with 75 pounds of mixed aloe and mirror. And it was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. A large stone that was four to six feet in diameter and one foot thick was affixed to the entrance of the tomb to seal it. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that Mary Magdalene 
was there to witness all of it. It was a great day of confusion, questions, and fear for Mary. For her, it wasn't a good Friday like it is for us. For Mary, it was a terrible Friday. Imagine all of her hopes and dreams, all of her expectations crushed in that moment. The person that she loved more than life itself was gone, and she didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. The gospel writer John in chapter 20 and verse 1 of our text writes, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Mary was the first one to the tomb early that first Easter morning while it was still dark. The darkness and loneliness of that early morning was comparable to the darkness and despair that Mary felt with inside her soul. She arrives at the tomb to pay her final respects, much like you would go to the graveside of a loved one and lay down some flowers and say a few words. When she arrives, she finds the tomb empty, so she runs to the other disciples and exclaims, He has risen! No, that's not what she said. Instead, Mary frantically shares with them, as verse 2 states, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Notice she didn't yet believe Jesus had risen from the dead. She thought that his body had been stolen. Then Peter and John ran to the tomb and looked inside, and they were confused as well. The initial reaction of Mary and the two disciples may confuse you. You may be thinking that the empty tomb shouldn't have been a surprise to them. That would be a reasonable assumption from our vantage point today. Because like I said, Jesus had predicted his death and resurrection multiple times. You would think that they would have expected this. Why was their first instinct grave robber instead of resurrected Christ? You would have thought, at least for Mary, that seeing the presence of angels as recorded in verse 12 should have alerted her right away that something supernatural had occurred. However, she didn't draw that conclusion. The question is why? See, Jesus' resurrection prediction went against widely held ancient first century Greek and Jewish beliefs of that day. The Greeks believed that the physical world was evil and that the spiritual world was good. Their goal was to leave their physical material bodies behind. Good riddance. The Jews believed that bodily resurrection would happen, but only on the last day, judgment day. Nobody thought that the Messiah was going to be resurrected first all by himself many years or even centuries before judgment day. In fact, they weren't even expecting the Messiah to die, let alone to die on a tree. As Matt shared in his scripture, cursed is a man who would die on a tree. And they surely didn't believe that he would be resurrected in this way. I think this context is important because many skeptics of the resurrection of Jesus assume that Mary Magdalene, the other woman at the tomb, and the disciples were gullible people who were easily deceived and likely to believe in someone bodily coming back to life. 
This is why, from Mary's and the other disciples' perspectives, despite what Jesus previously predicted about his own death and resurrection, their circumstances were going from bad to worse. So after Peter and John returned home, Mary walked over and looked inside the dark tomb and saw a couple of angels. And the angels asked her in verse 13, Woman, why are you crying? You could tell that these angels had never taken a counseling course on what not to, to do when a woman cries. Asking why is too threatening and not supportive enough, right? Consider when a husband asks his wife, why are you crying? And then doesn't understand why that question makes her cry even more. I don't think too many of us husbands have been trained in counseling either. But to her credit, Mary didn't respond to the angels by saying, how dare you ask me why I'm crying? Can't you see what I'm going through? Instead, she simply says, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. That's why she is crying. Mary is crying because his body is gone. She cries because she thinks that in his death, Jesus' enemies should at least have had enough respect for him to allow him to rest in peace. But there was also more to her tears than that. Even when she thinks Jesus is dead, she still calls him my Lord. She was probably thinking to herself, Jesus freed me from physical and mental anguish and torment. Now he's gone. Will this same physical and mental torment come back to afflict me? Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her the same question that the angels asked her. Woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying can also mean why, like, there's no reason to cry. But through her tears, she mistakes Jesus for the gardener and asks in verse 15, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Just tell me where you put him, and I'll go and get him. Do you see the irony in the situation? Mary is surrounded by angels and the risen Jesus himself, but all she can see are some dudes in, in robes and a person she thinks that's the gardener. She is standing in the middle of the greatest moment in history, but all she can see is that she's in the middle of a disaster. She feels like Jesus has abandoned her. Meanwhile, he's standing right there in front of her very eyes, asking her, why are you crying? And despite all of her love for Jesus, she's absolutely blind to the one standing in front of her because her vision of Jesus was too small. Mary sees, but she can't see her circumstances through the eyes of Easter. Jesus is also asking those of you this morning who are currently experiencing some type of loss or pain yourself, why are you crying? And you need to be honest with him. 
Don't just sniff and say, it's okay, I'm fine. He already knows why you're crying. He just wants you to admit the source of your pain. There could be many different reasons to that question as there are people present here today. Even for those of us who know the Lord, tears are the body's natural response to pain. None of us, not one of us, are immune to tears. What are you going through right now that is causing you pain and sorrow? Mary isn't the only one who has stood in a cemetery battling back tears. You may be sitting here this morning struggling with the death of a loved one. You may be hurting because of a recent diagnosis that you or another person that you love has received. Your eyes may be filled with tears because of problems with your children or grandchildren. Or like Mary, you may be crying because you feel alone, alone in your struggles. Maybe it's a struggle with temptation, a temptation that keeps coming back to haunt you. and You feel so powerless against it. A temptation to have wrong thoughts about yourself or another person. A temptation to give in to a lustful desire. A temptation to depressing or anxious thoughts to give up because everything seems to be going wrong. My health is failing. My mood is failing. My marriage is failing. You, like Mary, feel powerless and alone. Friends, can I ask you this morning to take off the mask of I'm fine and honestly admit what's causing your pain so that Jesus can do what he did for Mary, that he can set you free? Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may remain for a night, but praise God, because rejoicing comes in the morning. The second question of Easter that Jesus asked Mary was, who is it that you are looking for? Again, she didn't recognize Jesus. She thought that he was a gardener and that the body of Jesus had been taken from the tone tomb and placed somewhere else. Again, if you're like me, you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, Mary, how did you not recognize that you were witnessing something supernatural right before your very eyes? Then again, the Bible does say that it was early in the morning and it was still dark when she visited the tomb. The tears in her eyes probably obstructed her vision. Or maybe the confusion that she felt within her heart and mind caused her to feel anxious and depressed. I know from my own personal experience, when I'm feeling great anxiety or depression, it's often the result that I will withdraw inside myself. And I'm sure many of you have experienced the same thing. See, psychologists say that a person in pain is blind. They don't see a future. They feel emotionally detached. They have a difficulty recognizing and responding to those around them. Many times when we are suffering, when we are in pain, we don't often see the angels or messengers of God that God puts in front of us. Amen? Because our focus is inward. All we're thinking about at that moment is ourselves and our own pain, and we want answers. 
We want comfort and insurance. We want the pain to end and all along if we would just open our eyes to see the people that God has brought to us who want to minister to us. If we would just let them in. We all, like Mary, are searching for something to give our life meaning, to give our life purpose. Some people seek happiness. However, happiness doesn't last forever. As the word itself implies, happiness is associated with happenings, happenstance, luck, or fortune. If circumstances are good, then, I, then I'm happy. But if they're not, then I'm not. Others search for a high or to forget whatever is going on when they are hurting. Others search for hope and, and, and meaning in material things, wealth or fame, to give their lives purpose. Everybody is searching for something or someone. In June of 2005, 60 Minutes correspondent Steve Croft spoke with the then New England's Patriot quarterback, Tom Brady, about his success on and off the field. What Brady said about being satisfied in life surprised everyone in that interview. Tom Brady said, there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. You reached the pinnacle. You reached your goal, your dream, your life. And Brady says, me? I think it's, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done and accomplished it all. I'm only 27 years old. I have a lot of life to live yet. And what else is there for me? And Croft responded, what do you think the answer is then? And Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Jesus asked Mary Magdalene, I ask each of you this morning, who or what is it that you are searching for? How did Mary's perspective change from deep pain and sorrow to one of great joy? It was one single word spoken by Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. Only when Jesus speaks her name does Mary recognize that it was her Savior and Lord standing in front of her. She knew that voice. It was the voice that caught, called those seven demons out of her. It was that voice that set her free from what had held her captive. It was that voice who had welcomed her into his circle of friends. It was that voice that told her that she was loved and valued. It was the voice that cried out in pain from the cross just two days prior. It is finished. Mary knew that boy voice because it was a voice that had spoken to her many times in love. It was then and only then that she knew who it was. See, sometimes seeing is not believing. Loving is. 
Verse 16 says that Mary, when hearing her name, spoke and turned toward him and, and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, meaning my master, my teacher, my Lord. She answered his question, who is it that you are looking for? She was looking for Jesus, her Lord, her master, and she found him. Do you see what this meant for for Mary? Not only was Jesus alive, it, it, it meant also that every single word that Jesus had ever spoken or promised was true. It meant that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. That he really does have the power to forgive us and set us free from our sins. That he really is the way, the truth, and the life. And that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he will wipe away every tear. That those who believe in him will experience everlasting life. See friends, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. What Mary thought was a curse became a blessing. What she thought was a terrible Friday became a great Friday. What she saw as defeat was in reality victory. What she saw as God's abandonment was actually God's accomplishment. And the good news this morning for all of you is Jesus also knows your name. He also knows everything about you, my friends. He knows why you're crying. He knows who it is and what it is that you're looking for. And third, the third question that he's asking all of you this morning is will you acknowledge me as your living Savior and Lord? I'm wondering how many of you have formally invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I would imagine in a room, in a group this size, that there are a few of you who have not made that decision yet. This is why Jesus came. He died on Good Friday and rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My cousin invited me to a vacation Bible school because he wanted to win a large candy bar for bringing the most guests. I went to Kmart and got on the bus with him on the south side of Rockford, and we drove to the northeast side of Rockford. And it was in that service in my adolescent years that I responded to a call just like this one and gave my life to Jesus. And my life has not been the same ever since. And we could pass the microphone around this room and you would hear multiple stories of others who have experienced more mercy and grace than they had ever imagined because they asked Jesus into their lives. I want to invite you to stand with me right now. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. so that we can have a private moment before the Lord. I'm not going to prolong this. I'm not going to beg. 
just going to ask one simple question. Do you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be the leader of your life? If the answer is yes, I want you to quickly raise your hand. Okay, those who raise their hands, I invite you to pray this prayer out loud with me, and I invite everyone else to join in together. Lord Jesus, I want to experience your mercy and grace. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I'm inviting you to be mine right now. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Live in me as my leader from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you meant it from your heart. Your eternity has changed. The Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ. Also, if you prayed that prayer, I'd like you to scan that QR code um, and mark, check the box that I've accepted Jesus Christ because we want to help you along in your faith journey. I want to invite Kristen Kroll. You may be seated. I want to invite Kristen Kroll to come. About a month or so back, Kristen got some really bad news. And I've asked her to come this morning and share what has happened since then and how she's seen her circumstance through the eyes of Easter and the resurrection. Good morning. Easter is a, is a particularly special holiday for me. It's my favorite holiday. And uh, about a... Um, in February, I had been having some medical issues for the past year. I had been having a lot of bleeding and I've been having a lot of symptoms that just weren't normal. And so I went to my doctor and I told my doctor, you know, what do we do? And she said, well, let's order an ultrasound and let's see what happens. And so I went in to UW and I got an ultrasound and the sonographer was looking at the screen and she was real chatty and all of a sudden she just went like this and she just froze and I was watching her and I was like uh oh <laughs> something is up and so after that she was really nervous and um, I could just tell something was wrong and so I walked out of there and I was like Lord I don't know what this is. And so I walked through my door, and about five minutes later, my doctor called me. And when your doctor calls you, five, you know, like 20 minutes after you've had an ultrasound, you know that it's bad. And so she said they found something, and it's, you know, about the size of a quarter and about eight quarters stacked up. An ovary is only about the size of an almond, and so it had really increased in size. and. She said, it's vascular, there's blood flow throughout it. And if it was a cyst, 
I said, well, I asked her if it's a cyst, shouldn't they be able to tell that through an ultrasound? And she said, yes, that's how you diagnose cysts. And so she says, you need to get an MRI right away. And she, she couldn't disclose, she didn't know what it was, but she said, the good thing is, is if it's something, we've caught it early. And so, you know, she didn't want to say the big C word. And uh, I'm very familiar with cancer. And so I've had a lot of family members have cancer. And so right away, Jesse and I were just like, oh boy. And so we scheduled the MRI and the day of the MRI, Allison came over and she just said, can I come pray with you? And we got Matt and speakerphone and her girls were there and she just laid hands on me and she anointed me with oil. And we just prayed that God would just take whatever it was, that he would just take it away and that he would just deal with it. And that, that Matt played specifically that I would have favor with the technicians because since I was 15 years old, I have a, I've had a, like an anxiety, issues with anxiety. I had a full-blown anxiety disorder. And so being strapped to a table and being strapped and have an IV stuck in you is like probably one of the most terrifying things you can imagine. And so um, they just prayed over me and, and I just felt such a peace. And so I drove to the MRI site and um, they put me in the tube and they inserted me and the first song that came on was Oceans and I was just, I just felt like God helped me enter into a place of worship that was just so special for me. I felt like I was free and the song Waymaker came on and Waymaker, the song says Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness my God, that is who you are. And there's a part in the song that it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And so I came out and I just, just felt at peace. And the next morning I got my results. And I looked on my chart and I looked and and it said perfectly normal ovary and I said and then my doctor called me which is really funny too and because I'm not used to my doctor calling me I'm used to like trying to call my doctors or you know <laughs> you know how that is and so um, she called and she was almost apologetic and she was like it says that you have a completely, two completely normal ovaries. Like, she said, I don't know. I, I don't really understand, like, what happened. I don't know. And I said, I said to her, I said, well, this is what we've been praying for. We've been praying that God would just take it away. And I believe that I just experienced a miracle. And she said to me, you know, that, yo, you come from a faith background. That's nice. And, and I said... <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, this is what I truly believe. And um, after it happened, and I was just in shock, and, and I said, well, do I need to get a scan, like, you know, a few months from now to, like, clear this up or whatever? And she's like, no, this is the end 
of the road for this. You are completely normal. And, and that was like two months ago, and my symptoms are all gone. And, and yeah, praise God. <laughs> praise, praise, praise the Lord. And, and so, but when I would share this with people, one thing I noticed is that the human brain, all of us, and I know some people are really gifted with faith. I'm not a person who's naturally gifted with faith. And it's hard for us to grasp the miraculous. And I've had the miraculous happen in my life so many times. But I think I'm very prone to forget how many miracles God has done in my life. And my, the portion of my brain that says, how can that really be? How can that, how did that happen? Kind of takes over and, and I don't see the miracles before me. And I think part of that is my backstory. I'm someone who have dealt with chronic health issues, you know, since I was 15 years old. Three years ago, we watched my brother. Um, in 2018, my brother passed away, and he had had three years of terrible cancer suffering. And we had prayed and prayed and prayed. And we, we didn't, it wasn't the answer that we wanted. And he, he passed away. And so I think there was a part in my heart that had just really gone, like, it had lost hope. And I knew that God healed. I just didn't think he would heal me. It's hard when we pray. And I know all of y'all have experienced that, where you pray something and you don't get the answer you want or it seems unanswered. And I think we have to be very careful when we're in that position because the enemy, he comes in and he says things to us that aren't true. Like, God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God will never work. You don't have enough faith. You don't have prayers that are effective. And I think we believe those. And so we don't look to the miraculous and how amazing Jesus is. But when we're in that position where we feel like our prayers are unanswered, that's when we have to go to Jesus and we have to say, how this makes sense to me. Help me see your perspective. Because the truth is, is our God is an amazing God. He is powerful. He is faithful. He is all-loving. And he is truth. He is light. And so when this happened to me, and I, and I experienced this miracle, I feel like God was just... I feel like God just turned my heart to, Kristen, look at all the ways that I've worked miraculously in your life. There have been times where my family and I were in danger, and the Holy Spirit let us know. There was one time when we were in Thailand, and we were going to pull forward, and I was like, we got a green light, and I just said, Jesse, stop, because the Holy Spirit just said, stop. 
And right then, a truck ran a red light going like 100 miles per hour. And if we had turned, we would have been gone. There were times where, like, my daughter was on something, and God spoke to me, and I turned around, and I was able to save her life. Like, there are so many things. There are healing prayers that I was sick for 13 years, and God finally told me, I'm going to make you better, and he did, and I waited. This miracle was amazing, and it was awesome, and it was so encouraging to me. But I know that I speak to a group who you are actively praying for things right now. And I just want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. He is, he is powerful. He is our healer God. He is faithful, and he is truth. And with my brother, I was able to look back and see how God extended his life three years beyond what he should have lived so he could spend more time with his kids. And I've just seen the miracle of who, who he is. And one of my favorite verses, and it's in 1 Corinthians. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you. This miracle in my life has given me a boldness, again, that we are lights. We are to be a city on a hill. And you're not to cover that light. That light is to be shown for the world to see. And we shine with love and we shine with truth. So I just encourage you, church, shine with his love because the miraculous still happens. He's still doing miracles today. He does them all the time. I think sometimes we just don't have eyes to see them. I'm going to have the worship team come, and if you could stand this morning. What a powerful statement. I believe that Jesus can do miracles. I just didn't know if you would do that for me. And maybe you've been experiencing that. Maybe you've been feeling that. I know that Jesus is a miracle-working God. I just don't know that he'll do a miracle for me. If you have a need that you have been praying for, believing God for a miracle this morning, I want you to raise your hand. If you need a touch in your body, touch in your mind, if you need a miracle in your family, just keep your hands raised. I want those who are standing around, those who have their hands raised, just to come and lay a hand on their back and begin to pray for them and believe God with them. We're going to worship. We're going to sing a song called Resurrecting. And I want you to pray and and call out to God with resurrection hope. We don't live in despair. We live in hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, I just pray that as we sing this song, Lord, that you would resurrect hopes and dreams. Father, I pray that as we sing this song and we pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would perform miracles in this place. Lord, that there be more testimonies like Christians, Lord, of your healing power, of your forgiveness, Lord, of you setting us free mentally, physically, Lord, from pain. 
Do it, Lord. In Jesus' name. We have um, four individuals who have given their life to Christ and want to follow and obey the Lord in water baptism. I'm going to ask them to come right now. Brian Cruz, Aslan Turner, Maddie Cluton, Trinia Kroll. And can I also say that as I was praying for the service this week that there was an expectancy and I feel like each of our elders felt the same way that there might be someone or maybe more than one here this morning who you prayed that prayer just a moment ago and you want to follow the Lord in baptism we invite you if you want to get baptized today you can and um, we even prepared we brought some extra clothes if, and you're sitting there thinking well I would get baptized but I don't have an extra pair of clothes well no excuse we have an extra pair of clothes Matt one is one of our elders, Matt Cluton, and he's going to be in the baptism pool. And um, if you want to get baptized, see him. Matt, just raise your hand. Just see him, and he will set you up. I want to ask um, each of these guys just a quick question. All of them are, like, scared to death. You can be seated. So I'm not going to embarrass them, but I think it's important to ask at least each of you why you want to get baptized and it can be a sentence or two just to share real quick why oh man i'm so scared right now <laughs> um i want to get baptized just because i want to leave my past and just want to start a new journey with god in it and i want to put every situation every decision in my life um i want to put god in it and i want him to change my life Um, I'm also really scared too, but <laughs> um, I really want to get baptized because I think just over the years I've really seen God's hand in my life and I think I can't do this without him and I really just need him in my life. Um, I would like to get baptized because um, I would like to get out of my new self or old self and I would like to go on the new journey that God has for me. I want to get baptized because I just want to continue living my life for Jesus. So, such an honor. Um, a couple of them, their, their fathers are going to baptize them. Jesse is going to baptize her, his daughter, Trinia, and Phil is going to baptize Aslan. Phil, did you want to say something real quick before we go down to the... You had mentioned that you did. You guys can go and, and um, start to get ready and follow Pastor Matt as he walks down to the pool. Thank you for letting me say a couple words. Uh, just to encourage every one of them, I just think it's a punch in devil's face because we are commanded to do those things. We did a Bible study, my, my daughter and I. Um, we got behind, you know, I'm in New Orleans. They came and saw me, we came here. So it's been all over the place. So we've been trying to do that uh, with Aslan. And uh, I was just encouraged and blessed that God has put a young lady in my life 
to be able to raise them up. Like, that's our job as parents. And I was just overwhelmed with what God has done in her life. And I know that she only said a couple of words, but I'm, I know that she has a lot more in. And I know all the other ones here have a lot more words. And I think it's exciting to be able to be a part of this as their witnesses that they are starting something new. And when they come up, yeah, they may not feel crazy and all that, but God is doing something amazing. Um, he is giving them new life, even though they may have been saved a long time ago. But in, it's a command. They're taking that step forward. And I believe there's other steps. There's other boxes God wants us to open. And it's for them to receive that. You know, and I'm excited for what God's doing. And I'm, I'm great. I'm excited to be here and uh, at the church. And uh, all right. You can go get ready, too. Yeah. This is a, especially an honor for Phil. He flew up here. He's their family. He's an active Marine, and he's stationed down in New Orleans. Uh, Mandy would correct me. Is it Nolens? Something like that. Um, he's down there, and Shallon and the kids are up here. And so they've been separated for a while, but he got to come back and baptize his daughter. Amen. Let's pray for them right now. I asked each of them just to pray. Like, when you go under that water, just pray that God does something incredible and you come up just changed in Jesus' name with a new fire and desire. Father, we just thank you right now for each of our youth. We thank you for what you've been doing in our youth ministry. We thank you for all the kids that are apart, even um, from other churches, Lord. You brought them together. They're building friendships, Lord. Iron sharpens iron. They're sharpening one another. They're growing in your truth, Lord. There's a fire that's been lit within them, Lord. Lord, they're following your command to be obedient, to follow in water baptism, to profess, Lord, publicly that inner work that you've done in their life. And so, Lord, I pray that when they go under the waters, Lord, that the old things would pass away. And, Lord, as they come out of those waters, Lord, that all things, Lord, as your word says, are becoming new for them, Lord. And as they walk out that sanctification until that final day, I pray that they would walk with a fervor and a fire, Lord. Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, and that you would use them to reach their sphere of influence. And, Lord, that you'd place your call in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.